what the data says is super clear is that when you both have an equal voice in how money is spent in the relationship, in the marriage, the couples are happier and they're far more likely to stay married. You're listening to Good Is In The Details. I'm Gwendolyn Dolsky. And I'm Rudy Sallow. And this is the podcast where we learn what we didn't know we didn't know in the spirit of Socrates, all with the aim of living a self-improved life, a more knowledgeable life, a happy life. This episode, we're talking about what is a good husband. And what's interesting about this question is that that definition is in flux. What may have made a good husband 100 years ago is not the same as today because relationships have changed. Rudy, you're a good husband, right? We established that in the episode. I mean, I think that goes without saying, but yeah, we do discuss it a bit during the episode. So the answer is, <laughs> I'm actually idiot. great. I mean, good is just so, I mean, I think that what we established was that I'm a phenomenal husband. Of course I have my flaws. I'm not perfect. There is no such thing as perfect. You know, Excuse you. Nobody should strive for <laughs> perfection. I'm trying to teach that to my children. But there are some things here, and we really get into it a little bit towards the end of the episode, where I, I speak even more about my thoughts about delegation, um, yeah. talking about reframing and rethinking um, relationships and who needs to do what and trying to be helpful. And, and it's okay if you have help at home. I, I mean, I think we did a good job discussing this with Brian. He does a great job um, at his website, modernhusbands.com. I'm actually going to be a guest on his uh, podcast next week. I look forward to that. You know, he also talks a lot about finances, right? It's, he, yeah. He's got a pretty holistic website, and the show. I'm looking forward to discussing. I think we're going to discuss transportation. We talked a, talk a little bit about my thoughts on transportation on this episode, but it's not really that relevant. Probably talk a lot more about that on his episode. And, you know, we just had Father's Day a couple days ago. It's interesting, interesting timing for this. Did you get spoiled on Father's Day? Was it good? You know, every Father's Day that I, I get see my kids and get to hang out with them, and we get to see my father and my father-in-law and, and my uh, my brother-in-law. Every time I get to see them, just seeing them and hanging out, that's being spoiled enough for me. Oh, that's super sweet. All right. We've got, like you said, the founder of ModernHusbands.com has been featured on CNBC, Time, Money, USA Today, The Washington Post, Brian Page. And when we are talking about what it means to be a good husband, we're also talking about finances, as you mentioned before. And I can't remember what we decided on the title. I guess I'll find out after I listen to this. It was decoupling money from masculinity. Is that what it was? It was. I mean, that was that was a possible title, decoupling money from masculinity. Though that's that's somewhat of a small portion of what it we're is. discussed here. You know, so <laughs> so. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe How what is a good husband? What do you think about that? I think it's a great title. It's very simple. I think it's a great title, Gwen. Good job. All right. Thank you. Okay. And now with Brian Page, what is a good husband? Brian, welcome to Good is in the Details. I was looking at your website, Modern Husbands, and I'm really excited to have a conversation. But before we get started, I just need to know, is there a spectrum here of what a modern husband is? And I want to know where Rudy fits. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what is a modern husband? A modern husband could be, first of all, a partner. It doesn't have to be somebody who ties their bond through uh, a religious ceremony. It could be somebody from the LBGTQ community. But what all modern 
modern husbands encompass are people who believe in more of an egalitarian relationship, right? So they recognize that marriage or partnership is really a team effort between two people that are trying to make each other's lives as happy as possible. Rudy, so far you're on the spectrum. So far, so good. I'm not hearing anything <laughs> where there's any conflict here, but I'm sure I think Brian and I see eye to eye on many things, having listened to a, several of his episodes. I are you expecting conflict, Gwen? I, I'm I'm not really quite sure what this what this no, what, I just what you're setting me I up for. Wait, I have no idea what you're setting me I up for. I noticed on Brian's website that there was a helpfulness about choice and how many chores do men do? The reason why I'm joking around about a spectrum is because I'm wondering if people will say, oh yeah, equal partner, that that's all great. But then when it comes to the expression of that, there's yeah. a hangup when we find out what that really means. So when you were talking about a modern husband, what does that look like? Not just what the sentiment is, how do we define it? But what does that look like? What are some concrete things? I had Dr. Kate Mangino on my podcast, The Modern Husband's Podcast recently, and she wrote the book Equal Partners. Mm -hmm. She is internationally uh, recognized as a gender expert. And she led with this simple question that I thought to myself, oh my gosh, how much different my marriage, how much better it would have been from the beginning if I just would have asked this question. And the question is, what is the ideal husband for you? So simply ask that to my wife. What does it mean to be the ideal husband for you? How can we work as a team? What's your vision? I never thought to ask that. We just, you know, settled into societal norms in a sense, maybe some, some practicality, but we never really established each other's vision of what it meant to be a great partner. According to the research, what happens when you start to like peel back the onion is that people tend to gravitate more toward what was modeled for them in their household. And what was modeled for them was based on more of a 20th century work environment where the, the father, the husband uh, was the bringing home the bacon. The expectations were that he was going to you know, work longer hours. She might have had a job, but it was supposed to be more flexible. And she was supposed to be the person at home that really manages the household. The challenge that we're facing today is that in 45% of households, women are making the same, if not more, than husbands. When you consider the fact that women, fortunately, through progress, are breaking through the glass ceiling, that also means they're working longer and longer hours. And in order for a marriage to be happy, both partners need to recognize how they can support each other's careers, or perhaps one partner recognizes that the other partner's career is going to require more time more because there, maybe there's more stress. In some cases, uh, the man is the one who becomes the primary caregiver or maybe manages most of the household duties. Unfortunately, what we're seeing is that when women are earning more and working longer hours, statistically speaking, they're actually increasing the amount of household chores that they're doing. And there's, you know, the, the hypothesis to that is either she feels guilty because she grew up watching her mother doing things around the house, managing the home, and now she feels guilty that she's gone longer, either as a mom or as a wife. And or he perhaps is a little bit depressed because his career isn't going as well as hers. But regardless, the challenge is that that leads to frustration and animosity. What the research also says is that when you ask a woman, what percentage of household chores do you 
do? What's the division of labor look like? She will say something like 60-40. And that's really about the average. So she takes on about 60%. And he'll say 50-50. There's always a discrepancy. Mm -hmm. The challenge with that is that traditionally men take on chores that don't require an ongoing mental load. So um, let's say it's like working outside to mow, you know, to mow the lawn. You mow the lawn, it's like a one-off. If your job is to just manage anything in, in the kitchen, if like everything around that, meals, cleaning, et cetera, you know, that's like a nine off every day, right? Anybody that's responsible for cooking and cleaning the kitchen and like, I got to come up with the grocery list in my head. I have to figure out what we're going to eat each day for the next four or five days because food could spoil. We're going to figure out like, I've got kids. So when do they have training at night? When do they have some sort of after school activity where we can't be there? So based on that, are we going to eat out? Am I going to pack dinner? These things add up. The challenge is that women disproportionately take on those, those mental loads. When you ask like, what does it really look like when you start to dive like down into the details? More commonly looks like it looked in a 20th century home. It's just now we're living in a 21st century work environment that requires something different mm. for people to be happy. Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the shifts is a mentality that, you know, we have to, I mean, update is that for a long time. So my mom is of the silent generation. So for a long time, I thought she was a boomer. And I realized, nope, she's actually older than that. Oh, sorry, mom. I don't know if she's going to appreciate that. Okay. <laughs> but that in her day for a woman to work, that would be an embarrassment mm. because that would mean that the man couldn't financially provide and that, you know, the, the woman wasn't going to work. And then that, of course, has shifted so much from like, you know, to Gen X and I think that what has happened is that because there is not an economic need behind marriage, because that used to be right. the, the driving force of marriage. So men needed the unpaid labor of somebody at home to take care of things so that they could go out and work on their career. And women needed that yeah. financial security because that was their source of income. Marriage... Yeah. I know that sounds strange for a lot of people, but now, but marriage was a source of income. That's why it was a lot of pride for a woman to be the doctor's wife or whatnot, because this is essentially your source of income. Yeah. Once that is removed, that men can do their own laundry and women can make their own money, that means marriage is based on a, more of a symmetry. It can be based on attraction. It can be based on desire, mutual interest. You take away that economic need. And I think that there seems to be this pushback and this resentment towards women. This is a more conservative leaning circles of women. Uh, it turns out that women are initiating most of the divorces. And the reason is because they are doing all of this domestic labor and making money. And it's actually easier to be single, even with children, <laughs> and your workload is less by not being with somebody. So it's like 70% of divorces. So some conservative leaning outlets are blaming women when I don't understand why the view isn't on men. So what, I don't know. What are, your, what are your thoughts on that? Like you must you must hear some some pushback or somebody saying, oh, it's not natural for men to be doing these things in the home. It's not natural for women to be making more money. Like how do you respond to that? What do you think about that? Well, I'll take the, the, first, the first question and then I'll get to the second. There is a statistic that when women, the, the sweet spot for a man psychologically is when a woman is contributing 40% of the household income. And then as her percentage of income increases, he actually becomes psychologically distressed. Mm -hmm. The theory is that you know, men are kind of told whether directly by their parents or indirectly through societal norms that your responsibility is to provide and protect. That's it. 
there isn't anything like nefarious about it. It's just, you know, our, the, the, I don't want to say it's our nature. It's just what we've been taught. Uh, I was the breadwinner for many years in our marriage. And, you know, by design, we flipped. Even then, it actually took a little bit of a toll on me because not that I'm not, I mean, I'm clearly cheering my wife on. I have a company that focuses on doing those things, like supporting your spouse. I just, I felt like deep down, like, am I, am I letting, am I letting her down? Am I letting my kids down? It's not easy to get over. Um, so I feel like that that probably plays a part in some of the challenges that are perhaps difficult to quantify. I don't know about the blaming game. I mean, I don't, the only thing that would make sense to me there is like they're trying to hit maybe like a target market. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's something that's healthy. I think that progress in the workforce is very good. And that if, you know, we want to, as a society, continue to have happy marriages, we we have to decouple money and masculinity because those two things don't necessarily have to run hand in hand. That's exactly, I'm so glad you said that money and masculinity. That's exactly, that's exactly what it's about. So then if the woman is making money, more money than it seems to be emasculating or she's taking on a masculine mm-hmm. role. Gosh, that's such a good point. I didn't, you're right. I think I just uh, can't, I think he just helped us with the title for this episode, Untangling Money from Masculinity. Oh, that's there we good. go. That's a really, it's a really, it's a really <laughs> good, but, but so, so, okay. Going down that road, Brian, that's easy to say. You said it. It sounds yeah. great. We are not there yet as a society. I, I just, mm-hmm. there's, there's no, I mean, let's just, let's just, let's just be honest because women don't get paid the same amount that men do. There's still, you know, if anything, in certain parts of the country where there is much, there's much more of a conservative push towards this, I think possibly this idyllic view of the 1950s or the 1960s when, quote unquote, men were men and women were women. And in 2024 in the election, I feel like I, I'm serious. I'm already kind of seeing this on, on the TV. I feel like that's what we're going up against here. When I hear like anti-woke stuff, this, and I hear but more of a conservative, anti-liberal stuff. I really feel like in our next election cycle, we're going to be talking about this a lot more. Mm-hmm. In this kind of an environment, how do you untangle money from masculinity? I'm all for it. How do well, we I do think it? it's, a, it's astute of you to recognize the pattern that could be taking hold. Uh, and, I, and I think that that likely originates from tapping into some distress that men in rural areas have been facing over the last 20 or 30 years. And I'm, I'm from one of those areas. I'm from a very small rural area in Ohio. So, I mean, I understand the challenge. Like, so as an example, I'm from Wilmington and there were, it's a town of 10,000 and uh, we were on PBS as the special, like the epicenter of the financial collapse. Like we literally lost 10,000 jobs when DHL pulled out. And with that, and when you look across the Rust Belt, in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, you know, when men could go to work at Ford and make a really great living and healthcare wasn't an issue and the cost of college was affordable, you know, kind of the kitchen table issues um, were not really issues. And now, whether it's wage stagnation, somebody's, you know, more people are unemployed in that area, it's just creating an environment of stress. And particularly since the financial collapse, although urban areas recovered, when I say financial collapse, 2008, urban areas recovered and soared. But rural areas actually never fully recovered. You have circumstances where, you know, those families are, are hurting. When they're hurting, unfortunately, you know, people try to tap into that, that emotion and twist it. But if you were to 
ask those, you know, a lot of those same people, if they're a contributor in their household beyond working, you know, a lot of them are, it's just, it's not like they're wearing a hat, you know, it's not like they're saying, Hey, I do the dishes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, when I kind of like reflect on this, I think like it's important that a false narrative is not created. What the research says is about fatherhood as an example, is that when men spend equal time with children within the first couple of years and equal time, meaning, you know, they bathe them, they read to them, you know, on and on, then that child does better in school, both academically based on test scores and social and emotionally. They have less instances of disruptions or of problems at school. And men who do that and men who take on a fair amount of the labor at home, those men are happier. So yes, the marriage is better, but it's actually, when you look at the research, the biggest bump is unhappiness of husbands where they, for whatever reason, and I feel this, like they feel like they're doing something for their wife. Like I like, as an example, I like doing the cooking. I love it. I love it when I prepare a really good meal, whether it's like soak it, smoke and meat or like baking fish, whatever it may be. And everyone's like, this is great. And I know that I have it from beginning to end. And that look on you know my wife's face, like I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do the dishes or I don't have to think about all of these things. So I'm hopeful that, Rudy, we can like kind of dive more deeply into what I fear could be some toxic sound bites and really understand what it is that makes us happier and our marriages happier. Well, yeah, I mean, let's do that. So how do we dive into some toxic sound bites? I love hearing exactly what you're saying. I mean, those are, I doubt any father out there is going to hear what you just said, which is, well, the studies show that your children are going to benefit if you're there for them more. And and oh, yeah. by the way, you're going to be happier if you do more. Who would actually say, well, that sounds terrible. I don't want to be happier. So like, <laughs> that's great. But still there is a stigma or maybe there's a stigma. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's a stigma these days. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. Maybe the stigma is being blown up by the quote unquote left. I, I, I don't know. What, what I'm trying to figure out here, here is how do you remove masculinity from money? Is that even possible or achievable? I don't know if it is. Do you think it's actually possible to do? Well, there's two parts to that. The first part is how do you kind of approach this circumstance? And what we're trying to do at Modern Husbands is really approach it from a practical perspective by creating a community where we're just sharing ideas to manage money, which is a whole different topic I know we're going to talk about, and manage the household as a team. It doesn't have to feel or be like this mantra or this like movement that other things are. I my approach has been if we can somehow like share these ideas to make it more efficient to manage the home and manage money, then by collaborating, by creating community, it'll grow over time and slowly. But as far as decoupling money and masculinity, I don't think that's anything any single individual can do. And I think that we're probably generations away. And that's as much a female issue as it is a male issue. Because when you look at like Pew's Pew's research on this, women are just as guilty as valuing a man based on, or close to being just as guilty, based on how much earning power they have. Now, a lot of that depends on educational attainment. Women or married couples where they both have four-year degrees, that is less the case than it would be when the married couple does not have a college degree. Mm. I know you're probably looking for a silver bullet answer. I just, I think we're a couple generations away. 
No, I, what I was looking for was the answer that you just gave, which is the honest to God truth, which is this is going to take generations. It's going to take what you do with your podcasts and your and your business is going to take me continuing to preach whatever I preach uh, or whatever that is, or it's keeping the speaking about it and talking to our children about it. But it's just, heck, it might just be natural. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what, I mean, not natural, like it's yeah, sewn into it. our DNA, you know, ma- marriage in and up. It's well, money I mean, is power. Ma- money, money is independent. So if I have my own money, I don't need to have a conversation with anybody about how it's going to be spent. Um, I don't yeah. need to have permission. I think that that's the masculine because when I think about, you know, what, when we're saying masculine, what do we mean? And yeah. masculine means independence. It means some sort of authority. And so, and money does have those things. So that's why a woman is considered masculine if she has it, or it could be of great offense to somebody who really wants a feminine woman because feminine is meaning a, a de- dependence, not right or wrong. When somebody says something's feminine, they mean something that is dependent. And when something is masculine, it's independent. So I think that that's why you can't decouple it because money inherently allows for somebody to make decisions without asking for permission from anybody. Well, and you know, regardless of gender, the data is really clear on that. If money is used in that way, it's really being weaponized. Um, money mm-hmm. should never be an element or a tool for control ever. And it probably was in past generations, and it still might be in a lot of households across the country. And we're seeing it now. Women are using it as, an, as a form of control in smaller instances. But in one of the Netflix documentaries with uh, Ramit, there's that circumstance where she controls the money, meaning he basically has an allowance and he has no ability to contribute to where the money goes. There's obviously mm-hmm. a lot of different approaches to managing money as a couple. And the best approach is the approach that works for you and your marriage. But what the data says is super clear is that when you both have an equal voice in how money is spent in the relationship, in the marriage, the couples are happier and they're far more likely to stay married because it's not really money that we're talking about. It's like you said, it's really control. It's really control. And if one partner is controlling the marriage through money, then that inevitably is going to end badly. And now a quick break to tell you about our sponsor for this episode. Avonmoreinc.com. Do you play bridge or do any of your friends play bridge? You've got to check out Avonmoreinc.com. They have everything for your next bridge party. They've got coasters, tallies, napkins, smart playing cards, which are also fantastic for kids. Go to Avonmoreinc.com. I'll link that in the show notes and let them know that good is in the details sent you. Good is in the Details is partnered with Newsly.me. It is that all-in-one super app. You can get all of your news read to you in a natural human voice. Are you interested in true crime, detective stories, philosophy, transportation? Check out Newsly.me, and I will link that in the show notes. Use offer code THEDETAILS for one month free premium subscription. Okay, and now back to Good is in the Details. So when men want to become part of modern husbands, is there a common myth that you see that needs to be tackled? Or is there something that surprises somebody when they say, oh, to be a modern husband, I need to do X? Is there something, some common 
thing that you see there with young men or men in general? Yeah. What we ended up doing was just essentially keeping everything open for now. So it's typically um, when people just want to be a part of understanding how to be a modern husband, they just subscribe to a newsletter that we send out every two weeks. And then as a result of sending those out, we receive emails back with just certain questions. And probably the most common question where people ask it, broadly speaking, is how do I keep my like partner from overspending? Like we're having money friction, but it's it's usually a little bit of blame. And that in itself is a challenge, right? You should have like kind of, if possible, no blame, no shame. What we find, and and this is more broadly speaking, I'm not alone in this, is that oftentimes married couples or partners, you know, civil unions, that they don't talk about money until there's a problem with money, right? So whether it's somebody missed a, a payment or the credit card balance is too high or whatever it may be, it's at that moment where they're reacting. And of course, there's going to be frustration because there's stress and tension around financial problems, whether it's individual problems or problems that you have to face together. What's unhealthy is that if the only time you're talking about money is when you're managing a problem and you're reacting to that problem, that you're going to have an unhealthy relationship with money and then as a result with yourselves and your partners. So the most important thing that married couples or partners can do if they have a civil union and they pull their money together is just to speak frankly, openly, and regularly about money. Just as an example, it's something as simple as sitting down or some other experts will recommend going for a walk and start the conversation by sharing what you each love to spend money on. Right. Because nobody wants to sit down and talk about the restraint of a budget. And, you know, you can rephrase that to a spending plan so it feels more proactive and forward thinking. But ultimately, you're kind of like boxing in how your spending is going to go. So it's better to talk about what you love to spend money on first. Then you work your way from there. And I think what I know what couples find is that through that, they recognize shared values, which is essential when you are managing money together, and shared goals. When you establish those shared values and shared goals, it's a heck of a lot easier to build out a spending plan or a savings plan, a budget, however you want to define having a plan for every penny. And the couples end up being happier when they meet regularly and go through that and track the progress toward their plan, toward their goals, because the goals are things that make them happy. It could be you know, a vacation. It could be you know, saving to buy their first home, whatever it may be that's going to bring them joy assuming they already have financial security. So that's like the biggest challenge that we face is that people don't recognize that the reason they're fighting about money is oftentimes because the only time that they're talking about money is when they're reacting to a problem. Is it true that a lot of savers and spenders end up together or no? <laughs> how, do you yeah. how do you reconcile that? If somebody is a saver and a spender, like what kind of conversation should they be having so that they can both enjoy their lives and feel secure, but then have some sort of a compromise? Like what is even the language that they would use to have that conversation with each other so that they can meet each other halfway? Well, first, that can actually be a, a really good thing. The origin of that could come from everyone has their own money story, right? Their history with money. And oftentimes it has to do with like the socioeconomics of their background. And people often fall in love because they recognize something in their partner that they don't have that balances them out. When it comes to money, usually um, one person, as you said, is a saver, the other is a spender. And that, that actually is the case in my marriage. Now, my wife, I wouldn't 
I wouldn't say she's like, she's not a spender in the sense where she's, uh, she wastes money, you know, or she's super carefree. But like for me, I know that I am a saver to the extent that it's probably a little unhealthy, right? Mm -hmm. So when I walk into a mall, I have a physical reaction. I get a headache. I cannot see a bill at the end of the night when we go to a restaurant. I'll always say tip 20, 25%. But she's the one that does that because it'll ruin my night, even though I know I'm spending money. And so when you work together and recognize those things on how you can balance each other out, it makes it a lot more fun. So I manage most of our finances. I manage anything that has to do with saving for the future. And she could care less. She hates that stuff. She doesn't want to talk about it. She just expects it to always be there. And even when we sit down and have these shared goals, frankly, we're at the point where, you know, when you've been married 21 years, you get to this point where she just kind of trusts you when you go through those things. Um, And so I love it. I dig it. And at the same time, I also recognize that I do not release the purse strings as much as I should. And that she's, and she'll just simply, we have a budget together and we talk about it, but she knows that she needs to buy the things I would never buy for myself. So for my birthday, she bought this beautiful swing that goes in the back deck that I would never would have bought for myself. I'm sure it was expensive, but I love it. If you are a couple where that is the case, know that there are advantages to that. But there are also real problems because if you're not having a conversation, then of course, as the saver, you're going to like look at your partner and be like, she's spending all this money. Like, <laughs> you're great. She's going to Target again. Oh my God, what's going to happen? There's nine Amazon boxes on the front porch. Like we've all heard, you know, these really like these stories that go viral on TikTok. Um, of course, that's going to happen. You're not talking about it, right? So as long as you like have conversations about it, recognize each other's own natural skill sets and money stories, and then find a way to work as teammates, you'll be fine. I have a fix for Target. This is what I have to do. I I feel this way about Ulta, which is like the makeup store too. I think I have one thing on my list that I'm going to buy and it never happens. By the time they ring me up, it's close to 200 bucks. I have no idea. So what I've started to do is I just bring cash and I leave my wallet in the car so that that way I am forced that this is all I have on me and I stick to it. But that one, I'm normally a saver, but I found out, but Target and Ulta, they are sneaky. They know how to get you walking in there, just needing one thing and then coming out with half the store. Well, your, your approach is really, is really bright. I know it's intuitive, but boy, you're, you're spot on because, you know, ultimately personal finance is more personal than finance, right? You just have to understand your behavior and, and then how to sculpt an environment around your bit yourself to make willpower easy knowing that you're going to walk in somewhere and overspend and know that, hey, this thing I'm going to buy is 50 bucks and just take 50 bucks in cash is really smart. Rudy, do you have that problem at Target? I, uh, it's so funny to hear Brian's visceral reaction to when he, when he walks inside of a mall and, and the, um, and the bill at the end of the night. It's just kind of interesting. I get stressed out when I go out to dinner with people and like, you know, there's a whole bunch of people there and like, I'm always like watching what I order and like, I'm trying not to make things too expensive, but mm-hmm. like more often than not, I usually just pick up the whole bill because I don't even want to like battle over, well, who, who paid for this or who paid for that. I, I have this just like the opposite of stress. I, I don't even want to get into like dividing up things that sometimes I take on costs that I shouldn't. And, and that's bad. I mean, it, it, it's great if you go out to dinner with me, but it's bad for me financially. So like, I think I need to hang on Brian more is what I need to do. Like, I think, I think he, I think he could have some positive influence on me. Um, but yeah, Target, I mean, 
I have a target that's five minute walk from my house. I have to not, I have to stop myself from going there because whenever I'm there, I'm literally going, well, since I'm here, you know, I might as well get that thing that I need or that extra. It's, it's terrible. It's, I mean, I, Brian, I may need to hire you to control me and, and my funds. Would you, would, you, would you be up for that? I'm in, Rudy. <laughs> I'm not a crazy spender. I could also relate to what you were saying about you won't buy something for yourself. Like your wife will buy that for you for your birthday or Christmas. That's exactly what it is in, in our household. My wife takes care of the things that I actually need for myself usually clothes because I'll wear them, you know, uh, way beyond their useful life. And right now we're struggling with a car that I have that we've had for like 13 years now that let's just say that it's headlights don't really necessarily work at night. So I, I oh, can't. Congratulations <laughs> though. That's a well pack. Good yeah, for you. So we're, you know, and I, she's like, Oh, well you need a new car. I'm like, no, no, no. I want to use public transportation and I'll, I want to do this and I want to do that. So like, I get it. I don't want to spend money on myself. I just don't. Yet, if you come out to dinner with me, I'm, I'm probably I'm probably going to pay for the bill. So, Brian, I'll take you. Rudy, out. let me tell you what you're doing right. First of all, having a 13 year old car that's like just barely hanging on is a heck of a wealth hack. Like a car is just it just drains you, man. Everything about a car makes me you know gives me a migraine. You drive it off the lot, it loses 10 percent of its value. And if you have a gas powered car instead of an electric car, you know you're you're getting hit every week with 50 bucks, 75 bucks insurance. I mean, if you can get away with one car plus public transportation, you're going to see you know a significant difference in the amount of freedom that you have to spend more money. But I get to give you some credit. There's a lot of research out there that talks about the importance of spending money with the people you love the most, right? Yep. When you go out to dinner, you know, that's, a, that's an experience you have with these people that it's something that pays dividends because you can tap back into that memory. Yep. And that is, that's good. That's a positive. I would love to go out to dinner with you so you can take care of that. Brian, I am going to remember that. I'm remembering that next time Rudy takes me out. Next time I go out, I'm going to be like, you were tapping into him. I am giving <laughs> yeah, no. you something. Rudy, this is really for you. When you pick up the bill, I'm doing this for you. It's because I care about you. I could do a whole other episode. <laughs> on my disdain for automobiles and for paying for automobiles. And I have been a yep. long believer in used cars and driving them until they, uh, beyond their useful life, you know, you have to be safety of safe about them. I, I write for Forbes.com. I'm a transportation contributor and I work in infrastructure mm. finance with a specialization in transportation finance. And unfortunately our, our, the infrastructure in our country here is primarily funded with revenues from uh, fuel taxes. And so there is a major problem as, as cars become more fuel efficient and with electric vehicles, there's not this fix for our, for our transportation, but this episode is not about that. Um, but that that's actually what I do for my day job is I work in that area. Here, we're talking about how to be better husbands. So Gwen, tell us how to be better husbands. <laughs> well, I was going to say, Brian, I would imagine that this is really rewarding work for you. I just want to know, like, does a memory or a story come up to you about somebody who's really improved? Like they just have a lot more happiness, a lot more health in their relationship as a result of your work. I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. So I taught at a at a Title I district for 15 years. So not to diminish the work that I'm doing now, but it felt probably more rewarding there, uh, working with teaching kids how to manage money, high school students, because you could see how you literally changed their lives. And these are kids who needed that 
Mm-hmm. They needed a nudge in the right direction. When somebody tells you that, and I've, and I've had this at Modern Husbands, that they simply reached a savings goal by using a strategy that we've shared. They like light up. They're so happy that they mm-hmm. accomplished the goal. And what made it rewarding for me in the instance I'm thinking about, it's at least my favorite instance so far with Modern Husbands, is wasn't really that they shared how happy they were when they reached the goal and that they it, it was to go on vacation and, and how great the vacation was. What made them light up the most was that they did it, that they accomplished it. And you could see it was something that they hadn't really done before, but they had a concerted effort to say, this is where... We want our money to go. We want it to have the money for this certain thing and to have the money at this certain time. I know he told me it, it's created a new habit for them. What I was also rewarding was the recognition that he now re- saw that willpower is really hard over long periods of time and that people who have good habits don't necessarily have better willpower. They just have put systems in place where willpower is less necessary. So in this person's instance, he was using a Roundup app to get to their shared goal, which was a vacation. So Mm -hmm. the beauty of this app is that when you open your bank, when you would open his banking app, he would see money in his checking and his savings, but he wouldn't see how much was in his Roundup app. And that's important because it's out of sight and out of mind. And it's important because it's automatic. He's not thinking about it. Every time he would spend money, it would just round up. And it got to the point where he would forget that it's there until he got alerts that would tell him how much closer he's getting to his goal. And so that is an example of what gives me pride and joy when people recognize that when they work together, they can put systems in place to live a happier life. And it doesn't have to be hard. It actually can make managing money easier and less time consuming. Let's see. In philosophy, we always want to get a clarity of terms. What is a necessary condition, a sufficient Mm. condition? So now I'm thinking about it in terms of a modern husband. What is it that all modern husbands share? What is a character trait that they all share? A necessary condition. They have to love their partner as much, you know, more than themselves. They simply have to recognize that there are many different ways that you can show your love to your partner and that you can make your partner happier that far exceeds something as just simple as money. What should, let's say, a modern wife (laughs) know about her modern husband? Uh, That for many men, it's maybe not as easy as it looks because they're kind of breaking through societal norms if they are doing certain things that were perceived as being feminine in the past. Like that, let's say that they do a lot of the caregiving. Let's say that they're the ones who do the laundry. It's not necessarily something that they're going to announce to the world. And to be clear, a modern husband could be a husband that, you know, like I have a career, like most households are dual income households. A modern husband might be a husband who earns just as much, if not a little bit more, but that does not impact how they're treating their partner. Frankly, time and stress are one thing. So if you have a career, like a buddy of mine, one of our advisory board members, his wife is an ER physician. So when she has a bad day at work, people have died. They've died right you know, in her hands. He knows that. And so when she gets home from work, 
everything is taken care of. Like the house is clean or the apartment is clean, food is prepared, etc. And that shouldn't matter if it's a woman or a man, because that job, I can't wrap my mind around the stress that comes with that. And so as a partner, he recognizes that's necessary. But if let's say that one partner works longer hours than the other partner, then the partner who's working less should do more at home. There should be this constant like balancing act where the modern husband is contributing more. And if if you're a modern wife, what you need to understand is that one, that that takes time to work through societal norms. But two, the most important thing I should have led with this is that it's okay to let go. It is okay to let go. And this was a challenge that I faced with my wife that, you know, she spent a good part of our marriage managing the household. And when you do something for 10 years, you're naturally going to have a system in place. And so when there's a change, there is a tendency to want to micromanage whatever that task is and have it done in whatever way you were doing it. Let it go. If somebody is taking on a task, let that person, let the husband do the task in their way. That is the most common friction point when you see an evolution in a marriage is that she wants him to do it in her way, at, in her time. And it can't be that way. He's got to own the task, but he also has to have the freedom to get the task done in his way. What if, I mean, I totally agree with you on that, but usually, and I, and I feel that frustration and usually I'm always doing things the wrong way and my wife will tell me that <laughs> or, you know, you know, I, know. But, I mean, not the wrong way, but maybe I'm, I'm trying to learn at the same time. And she, she, you know, in the past, she would try to get me to do it in a different way. Or like maybe her parents would like make a comment about me doing something wrong. And something that kind of shifted over like the last year or two was like, she's like kind of standing up for me doing it my own way. Even if it's wrong, I'm doing it in a way that I'm going to learn in my own way. And so like, that's huge. Rudy, I need an example. Like, what are you doing? Are you putting in like red socks with white shirts? What, what are you doing uh, wrong? Maybe it's like putting the dishes inside of a dishwasher and not the most efficient way, or maybe I'm, I, I, I can't know. There's like so many examples, but that's a real fight yeah, between yeah, couples. No, know, but, but, that's like a real but, but, fight. No, but Brian's right. Like, let me do it my way. Okay. Even if it's the wrong way, even if it's not the most efficient way, let me do it. And then after maybe give me some tips as to how I could have done it better. But like, well, if I'm in the middle of doing it, it's going to lead to a fight sometimes. Right. Right. Absolutely. That, I mean, that, I, oh my, like, you know what I mean? there are two instances that come to my mind. Like one, I was outside cleaning the outdoor room and I, I kept on looking over my shoulder. She's right there over my shoulder the whole time. And he's just like <laughs> monitoring me. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm not seven. Like, go. I, I'm doing this so you can go. She wanted to walk at a certain time. So you can go for a walk. And it was, I felt like a baby. Like she couldn't trust me to do this. But the one, the one that kills me is in the kitchen. Like I like to cook. And that's one of the things that modern husbands we want to do is we want to build up just sharing ideas on recipes, you know, like how to smoke meat or whatever. So anyway, when you're cooking and they start interjecting or they're like, how can I help? Meaning that they don't want to help. It's where she wants to kind of change what's being done. And it could be a recipe that I'm following. She's like, I don't want it this way. Drives me insane. I've got three things going on at once. I've got to get my kid to soccer practice. She just got off work. And then she instantly comes in and starts to try to change what I'm doing. I can't do that. I'm not smart enough to multi-switch between three different tasks and figure out how to accommodate her. So my advice to women is just let them be. Let them 
finish it, make him feel good about the the meal. He doesn't need a trophy, doesn't need a trophy, but <laughs> show some appreciation and just gr- you know gr- grind it out. Just bite your tongue. We know that you were a great cook too, but just let him do his. Yeah, thing. I mean, men are guilty of that too, to a oh, certain sure. extent sure. Uh, as well. I mean, we're we're. I think I think that's like I think that should go to like both sides. Like both sides of the couple need to like okay. They're doing something that doesn't look like they're going to get hurt. Yeah, it might not be the best way, but they look like they're, you know, they're really focused on it. I'm not going to interrupt and tell them how to do it better or anything like that. And then we could talk about it later. That's really good advice, like for both sides. And have have a look or some some sort of a giggle for it. Like, I think... Even as we're laughing, as we're telling each other this, we can recognize that there's some absurdity and humor in that. And you can still have that in the relationship. Like, I know that I get a bit micromanaged by my daughter's father. And when he starts to do it, I just look at him and he just says, okay, okay, am I micromanaging? I was like, no, no, not at all. And he gets it. And so it's, it can be like a, like, okay, I see you, you see me, and we get that this is the way that we are. And you can kind of chuckle about it. So I think that there's also a way to inject some humor in that situation so that you walk away feeling loved. You yeah, know? <laughs> no, that's exactly right. Yeah. This was really good, Brian. I mean, I think there was a lot of things that came out of this. Well, um, wait, Rudy, did we establish, are you a modern husband? I mean, you know, wh- I, wh- whether you guys whether you guys think I am or not, I, I don't really care. I, I, think I you am. Are. I mean, I, I, you know, I already know that I am. I, you know, Rudy, not, you are absolutely a, a modern husband. I know. I know I am. Believe me, I, I, I'm I'm a postmodern uh, husband. I don't even know what kind of a category I'm in. My situation is is an unusual one. I, I you know, my wife is a surgeon. When she messes up at work, people can die, or like you know, there could be some real friction amongst doctors. It's you know, it's it's very difficult, complicated thing. My wife feels a lot of guilt because she's she's not around that often, and I deal with that guilt as well sometimes. And sometimes that guilt is has led to decisions by her that to, to try to alleviate that guilt, but sometimes they've made matters yeah. worse. It's very difficult what we manage. And, and I just, we have help, you know, we would not be able to carry on our careers and have our children be involved in stuff. If we, you know, didn't have some kind of domestic help and we do have, we do have some domestic help and we're very blessed that we have that someday we won't have that domestic help. And maybe this will be a completely different podcast episode. You know, I do think that it's very important that modern husbands understand how difficult managing a household and managing a career is, and you need to spend money to delegate a lot of tasks. You got to delegate. If you don't have time to do the yard work and you can afford it, hire somebody Bingo. to do it for you. If you don't have time to, to, to clean everything, scrub it down, pay for that. Spending a little money, if you can do yep. it, will lead to a lot of happiness and probably advancement in each other's careers. If you're trying to take on too much at home and if there's things that can be delegated, right? Like most parenting cannot be delegated. Like you can't pay somebody to put your kids to bed uh, usually. I mean, but like the things that can be delegated and you could do it at something that's not going to break the bank or it's not going to hurt any savings, delegate, 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 delegate as much as humanly possible. And so you guys can have some time together with the family. I don't know what if that makes me a modern husband or a no. husband. I don't care. That's the only that thing that was works. Good. That was Rudy. I had on uh, Dr. Williams is on our board. Um, she's a world expert in time, money, and happiness. And you know, she's a Harvard professor, and her husband's a physician. You know, she just stressed the importance of buying time. You know, yard work, absolutely. Home delivery, food services. You know, on any time you can buy yes. time for the tasks that just don't bring value. 
couldn't say, yeah, yes. you're right on. And you're also right on with, you know, women feel that guilt when unfortunately, because unfairly society paints this picture of a mother that has to do everything. And then the father's oh. like, hey, you, you take him to the doctor once and we get a trophy. And it puts so much pressure yeah. on high women who are high achievers in the career world to try to live up to this, what should be this like this vision of what a great mother is when it's just not something that is a 21st century reality. If you are somebody that's a physician, it's an unfair expectation. Totally agree. Women even feel we even even feel guilty doing the delegation. Yeah. You know, and that, that's what we need to remove. We, we we need to get rid of the stigma of having help and paying for help. Like that needs to be eliminated. Women feeling guilty for it is not going to help anybody. It's not going to help relationships with their children. It's not going to help relationships with their husband. We have to remove that stigma as much as we could possibly remove the stigma that's attached to you know money being attached to masculinity or masculinity to money. It's going to take generations to reduce the guilt that women feel and it's going to re- take generations to reduce the attachment of masculinity with money. But that's what, you, what you're doing with your great work, Brian, and we hope to continue to do that here through Good is in the Details. Well, thanks for having me, Rudy. This, I cannot say enough good things about what you're doing. Thanks for having me. This was, this was a blast. Good is in the Details is produced by Dr. Gwendolyn Dalski and Rudy Salo. If you'd like extra content and you want to support the show, we've got a new book up on our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash goodisinthedetails. For as little as two bucks a month, you can support your favorite show and we'll give you a shout out on the pod. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you're enjoying the show, please scroll down to the bottom and hit that five-star review. And also thank you to our sponsor, Avonmore Inc. and to our partner, newsly.me. Remember to check out the show notes for that. Okay, until next time. Bye.